I thought today we would look at Acts chapter 2 in this group discussion format because most of us here are quite familiar with the passage and I thought it would be really helpful and interesting to hear each other's take on what's going on here as we talk about what happens when the Spirit acts. What, what do we see? What do we learn about the Spirit? What do we learn about the Gospel? What do we learn about the Church? What do we learn about God's calling on us personally from uh, the Spirit's movement here in Acts chapter 2? So, with that in mind, let's read chapter 2, and then we'll talk about it. And after that, we'll be taking communion together. So, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God 
raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because... You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We've got a lot in one chapter, haven't we? Okay, we're going to break it into three parts and have three parts of this discussion. Firstly, we're going to talk about what we learn about the Holy Spirit. 
So that's the first thing in our minds, the first section of this chapter is what do we learn about the Holy Spirit? What does God reveal about the Holy Spirit? What does God want us to know about the Spirit from what we see here at the beginning when they're all gathered together in uh, one place and we have this blowing uh, like a violent wind uh, looks like sort of tongues of fire. They speak in these other languages and they cause the crowd to be amazed and perplexed. Some thinking it's amazing, some thinking they've had too much to drink at this early hour. So what's going on here? So let me ask this first question. What's, what stands out to you? Or what, what do you notice most about the Spirit here? What do we learn about the Spirit? What would you say? What strikes you? Like You're like... That's interesting, that's strange, that's odd, that's exciting, that's inspiring, but whatever, you know, just the thing that stands out to you. What do you notice about the Spirit? That they spoke in other languages. I think it was deliberate. Mm-hmm. So that the people who were there watching would see that they had powers that they never had before. They didn't have that power before. They, they didn't know their language. They were just standard Galileans, yeah. not with all this... Multilingual ability. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent. I think the spirit is, has no limit to its power. No limits. It defies the things that the spirit did, just defies our ability to reason with that. Yes. So it's reflected God's power here on earth to us, just what real application of what God can do when he, that's what we're going to do. Mm, It gives their message an authority. For Peter and the... uh, That maybe they couldn't kind of do themselves. Gives them an authority, yes. Because that's got to be supreme. That's got to be, you know, something from Mm -hmm. power of that. So it gives them extra authority. Yes. I guess to kickstart kickstart the church and the message, it needed some Mm -hmm. kind of... Yes. This has got to be something outside of men. It gives the message more authority. And we'll come on to the message in the second part of this book. Good. Okay, what else? What else stands out about the Spirit? Why does God work this way, do you think, through the Spirit? He could have done all kinds of things with the Spirit here. Why this? Let's, let's focus on the phenomenons first. Okay, so the violent wind and the, what looks like tongues of fire. What, what does that say to you? I mean, ima- try, try and imagine that, you know, imagine a, a violent wind in this room, not out on a mountainside. We, we were in Spain, as you know, on holiday last week, and there were some very strong winds uh, where we were occasionally. And, and, but th- and you expect that outside, but a violent wind inside a house, inside a room, that's not, that's, why, why that inside, and why the tongues of, looks like at least tongues of fire, landing on each one of them, something like a a flame. I mean, what do you think is going on there? Any ideas? Why would God decide to do it like that? Use your imagination. Well, the sound was obviously a sound. It wasn't the wind. Okay. It blown everything. <laughs> so yeah, okay, yeah. It was a sound. Sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Everybody that was there could hear. Okay, so it wasn't a wind as such, but it no. sounded that kind of sound. Okay, the fire. Okay. So it's a fire that doesn't actually burn something up, but it's a fire that's there. Like, like the burning bush didn't burn up, but it was burning. Moses. And the significance of that could be? Were they Jews? 
for the, for the Jews. Okay, that was his commissioning mm. to then go and be God's messenger to mm. God's people. Prophet, I think, was it? He's in. Okay, so we got maybe maybe there's a connection there, which has been very uh, meaningful to uh, Peter and the other uh, apostles and the people in the room. Any other thoughts on that? Also, I think um, it didn't come quietly. Right. It's like here I am, breaking my sin. Yes. Right. Yes. And unforgettable. Yeah. Oh my word. Yeah. Very. That's that's a very good point. You know, they they'd be talking for the rest of their lives about that day. Yeah. Mm. Do you remember that? And of course, the sensory experience would come back to them. Yeah. You, yeah. Right. It would, wouldn't it? It also show the people who the appointed were. Okay. Because they were the ones that were going to do the signs and wonders. Okay. And the people would now believe in them because they'd seen God's hand on each one of them. Okay. Yeah, that's what I think. No, that that would mark them out in some way. Quite extraordinary. And God does work sometimes in a subtle way, right, in people's hearts in a subtle way. But this isn't a subtle thing, right? So it's not like later on they'd be saying, Peter, John would have a conversation, they'd be saying, Pete, did you feel that, what I felt earlier? Yeah. Oh, well, I think I did, you know. No, 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 this was, this violent sounding wind, or sound like a wind, and, and then these, okay, so it's very dramatic, it's memorable, maybe there's something to do with Moses, the messenger of God, the commissioning. Uh, okay, good, so that's, that's kind of what's happening here, then, okay, what about the languages? So why... All these different languages. What's, what's going on there, do you think? Why would God, why not just have them all preach in Aramaic or, or Hebrew or even Greek? I mean, why, why bother? Because surely all the people there would understand either Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic, right? So, yeah, what's, why the need for this? What's the point? I think they got a lot of people from other lands. They did, they did. Which wouldn't have necessarily known... They might not, though probably most would have spoken Hebrew if they were in Jerusalem for Passover. Probably, right? They'd been going to the synagogue, would, probably. Yeah. But yes? So, uh, okay, first? I need to emphasize that the gospel had, was going to be spread okay. um, beyond those parts. And I think it's just that maybe mirroring what's going to happen in the future that the word of God is going to reach all these different people. All these different people. It's, okay, it's not just for you here in Jerusalem. Barry? Would you think that the Tower of Babel uh, event where God actually confused everybody where they were speaking one language, hmm. then you know, they'll just bring that back together? Yeah. yeah. It could be, couldn't it? I mean, that's some people, I've read, I've read about some theories about that, that it's the reverse of Babel in mm. a sense, because yeah. um, God is now communicating to everybody in their own language. Good. Um, any other thoughts? Deep one for some of you, maybe. So, uh, oh, and so the sound of many languages had a particular meaning for Jewish people in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Anybody know what, what that was? Conquest and invasion and being 
Yes. Okay, prisoners in a foreign land and invasion, the hand of usually the judgment of God on the people of God. So you'll see you'll, many Old Testament prophecies, and you have to look them up, but, um, uh, but Joel is part of this, is quotes from Joel that Peter uses, um, is when you hear all these languages, it's foreign invaders coming in, and they're coming in to, to, the, to, to take captivity of the people of God because my people have not listened to my message. So many languages signifies God saying, I have an important message you need to listen to. And that would have been very meaningful to someone from a Jewish background at that time. So this is like, you've got to listen. This is really serious. So you've got interesting things. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. of the protection that Jesus had said when he said, I'll send yes. my, my, yes, my spirit back. That's right. Of course, they might or might not have believed it. <laughs> but now they do. Now they do. <laughs> they, they certainly do. So a couple of thoughts, and then we'll move on to the next section. So uh, what do you notice about the way that the... Uh, the, the way that Peter reacts to this... Um, the way he reacts at the beginning of the next section from verse 14 on, what does that tell you about how he views what he's just experienced with these, this sound like a violent wind, the, what seems like tongues of fire, the ability to speak in all these languages? What does it tell you about what, how, how Peter interprets this, what's going on? How does he react? How, what do you do, from the way he reacts, what he now does next, what does that tell you about his understanding of the spirit? He back to, he recognizes it as a, as a prophecy come true. Okay, yeah. He, he has the understanding to realize that it's Joel's. <coughs> mm-hmm. What coming true is Joel's written about. Mm-hmm. It connects with an Old Testament prophecy. He reinterprets. Go on, yes. <coughs> it stands up almost as he's seen Jesus stand up. Yeah. In the past. Yeah. So it's almost, in many ways, stepping into those shoes. And, that's, that's right, isn't it? He's, he's now recognizing and fully perhaps embracing his commission yeah. to be the messenger, yeah. to be the one to carry on the message. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Okay, to feed and to do what Jesus did. Mm. Yes. And I love, I mean, this is a side point, but I love his insights into Joel and the way he quotes Joel, which reminds me of what happened in, my, in chapter one that we looked at two weeks ago, where he sees insights from the Psalms as to the replacement for Judas. <laughs> Peter has this great uh, grasp of Old Testament scripture and applying it to a new covenant situation, which I think is important for us to bear in mind. For those of us who don't perhaps read the Old Testament very much, because we don't feel like we connect or it, we relate so much in the Old Testament how that we need. How did you attain that as a fisherman? Without being a scholar, without being... How did you attain that kind of insight, knowledge and understanding? Good question. Was it just hanging around with Jesus for three years? Talking about it a lot? Well, yeah. now he's got the Holy Spirit, so he's got an yeah, yeah. encyclopedia behind him. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people have been asking that question for a long time. <laughs> 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 I mean, <laughs> yes, it's true. No, I think I think he noticed the way that Jesus had insight, and the, I, I think that's part of. It changed the way he thought about those scriptures. I would imagine, 
plus the Holy Spirit at this stage. And what about the, the observers? Those who notice what's going on, but aren't Peter and the apostles and the disciples, the, the crowd, the way they react, what does this tell you? What do you notice about the way that the... They're trying to explain that way because obviously uh-huh. they believe in that. So mm-hmm. Peter's reaction, it, flo- it fuels his faith and it makes him step up. These people obviously don't have any begin with and so they just want to explain it away as how they're drunk and make excuses for the for what what they see that they don't understand. Mm-hmm. Good, thank you. Anything else? You always have two categories of people. So yeah. those who are amazed, yeah. really wondering what was happening, and then there were the others who just are struggling. Yeah, yeah. It hasn't really changed, has it? No. Some people will hear the gospel and be amazed and perplexed, and others will be like, eh, well, that's just a joke. <coughs> some people will come to church with the same perspective, visit a church, and some will be amazed, and, and, and then some will leave without it having any particular impact. Uh, I think it's great the way Peter uses this criticism and uses it to explain everything, and I think... Sometimes at work people make comments and I don't know what to do with it. But Peter takes a criticism mm-hmm. and then explains the gospel fully. He starts with where the crowd is, or at least part of the crowd is at. Mm. He starts where they are. They're com- they're, some of them are just perplexed and amazed. Others are sceptical, cynical perhaps. But he starts there. It's a really interesting point in terms of our own Outreach and trying to explain the gospel. It's kind of absurd that like, you'd blame that on wine, wouldn't it? It is. It's a bit of a non, non goer in it. You know, too much wine. What? But, so it's even harder to speak to me in language when you're drunk, isn't it? Surely. And if you're drunk and then trying to speak to me in language, it must be even more of a difficult task. It's like I couldn't ch- speak Chinese. I've got no chance of speaking Chinese if I'm drunk, have I? It's just a stupid comment if you think about it. There's too much wine. What? what? But they did yeah, understand. Like, it like always back to you. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. And also, like, if you're too everyday terms, someone has a car crash, the car is totally, like, totally wrecked. Like, literally, you're like, this is mangled, and someone walks out alive. So you're like, oh, you're lucky, mate. No, you're not lucky. That was God there. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But someone, you say that was God, and someone would be like, no, it's just luck. Good point. Good point. Okay, so we've looked at the spirit. Now let's think a bit about what Peter tells the crowd about Jesus. So let me ask you uh, I mean, I won't reread the whole of his um, sermon here, really. But just from what you heard as I read it earlier, or you know about this passage, or you look back on it now. What do you notice that Peter emphasizes? What does he emphasize in his mini lesson here? What stands out as an, not just something that interests, interests you, but is a, an emphasis? What would you say? What does he emphasize? He says pour out his spirit. Pour out his spirit. On, on all flesh. There's an emphasis on the spirit. Mm-hmm. All. Yeah. All people. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And you will get this 
Okay, the Spirit's there at the end of his lesson in a way, and it's there at the beginning of the lesson in uh, verse 17. So there's a thread there. Simon? Just thinking about um, the emphasis on Jesus. You know, uh, I mean, he's obviously made a big impact. And he said, you know, you guys are crucified him. Yeah. I think it's yes. 21, what he's building up to say yeah. is effectively, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, mm-hmm. the crescendo, crescendo the, yeah, of what effectively it's building up to say is that this is about salvation. Right. Yeah. And if you call on Jesus' name, you will be saved. This, is a, right. this whole thing is leading to salvation. It's about salvation. Yeah, yeah he says later that uh, save yourselves. And in verse, and verse 21, 40. everyone comes on the name will be saved. Right. It's after he talks about, you know, um, the things that have happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, go on, uh, Leon. The anchors in there are just in faith and uh, right. anchors that are coming forward. Uh, so no, this is not something like hope. It's not a reboot. This is uh, this mm. is continuity from, you know, it's the sequel of a reboot. It's the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, not the reboot. Yes, go on. Yes. Because I think a lot of them, they're still like, oh, well, he, he's gone, you know. Mm, mm. He's died and there's like related factors. No, Jesus is the Messiah and this is, the, this is your salvation. Mm. By using yeah. scripture, yeah. isn't he? Where they, yes. What they would know about Joel and yeah. David. Yes. They know that. Mm-hmm. They think this is the bit that mm-hmm. you've read about. This is it now. Mm. Very familiar for the people in his audience yeah. and very, in a sense, popular. Yeah. Uh, David, very popular. The prophet Joel, very well known to that audience. Here's a thought just before, that one of you triggered it in my mind um, just before we go on. He's dealing with the Messiah, as someone mentioned, as, as he really was the Messiah. Because, at least in part, because the people that were there had difficulty understanding that that was part of who Jesus was. Right, he's a man accredited by God. He's done all these miracles, but you, you have to understand he's Messiah and Lord, actually both of those, he says. They, they had difficulty understanding that aspect of Jesus. Now, I, let's think about 21st century um, uh, Watford and Croxley and wherever we live. I don't think many people are particularly confused about the Messiahship issue. That's not the primary misunderstanding people have of Jesus. What, what do we hear? What would you say is the, some of the big misconceptions, or misunderstandings that people have today about Jesus? Well, they say he was a prophet. Say he was a prophet. Not the son of God. Not the son of God. Okay, just a prophet. Just a prophet. Okay, all right. What else do we hear? Just part of a menu of options. One of a menu. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a story. It's a history story. History. Anything else? An impressive human being, but not more than that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And one step higher, they would say, well, there's no God really, because if there was, then I 
world would be like this. Yeah. There wouldn't be suffering. So mm-hmm. if there's no God, then there's no Son of God. So that's kind of how they might see. Mm. Mm. Okay. All right. So it just makes me think that as we do our best to bring the good news to people, that we need to think about how we answer the most common misconceptions people have and have, have clear thinking on that. And Peter had clear thinking on how to help his audience deal with their misconceptions. That's something for us to wrestle with. I've got time to deal with all that right now. But I might, you might want to think about the conversations you have with people <coughs> when they, you try and talk to them about Jesus, but they have this picture of Jesus as not accurate. And then what do we do with that? It's, at the end, is it's, it's kind of this classic, like, mic drop moment. He's saying, you know, you, you crucified Jesus. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you know, you're, you're responsible. Mm-hmm. So save your own, you know, Messiah. And it's kind of like, it's quite confrontational, really. It is, yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. That that word you. Excuse me. me is when he was talking about signs and wonders, and then talking about the sun being dark and the moon in blood. Well, if you think about it in this age. We've seen an eclipse, and we've seen four blood moons. So this is another confirmation of prophecy to the people around. And they can say, oh, yeah, he told us that this was going to happen. I'm sure they had them in those days. I think the last one was 600 or something. I would imagine so. But it's another confirmation of what has been said. Mm. It's it's true. What what he said is true. Mm. Good stuff. Thank you. Moving on to the last section then, um, which is the response of the crowd and then the response of, yeah, well, the response of the crowd and the response of then of the people who are baptizing the Christ and what happens towards the end of the chapter. So, uh, some quick thoughts about what we learn about becoming a follower of the Messiah and the Lord, who is Jesus. So, um, what, what's the motivation for these people getting baptized, would you say? If you were in their sandals, um, what would you be, what would be your motivation? After you've heard Peter speak, why would you be um, repenting and getting baptized, 3,000 of you, all in one day? And that might not all be all of them, because often, often in the Bible, the numbers are numbers of men, because that's how they counted in those days. So it could easily be more, but anyway... Certainly at least 3,000. So why? What, what sort of motivation is going on as far as you can tell? It has to be a spiritual um, motivation. Spiritual motivation, because yes. For them physically to give up all their possessions and sell everything, they wouldn't want to do that. So it has to be internal. Something's changed. From the Holy Spirit. From the Holy Spirit? Okay. Something's Obviously going on. You, 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 you. And it, it's affected them so much that they've made the commitment. There's a big change, yes. Yeah. Big change in the, in the heart. Okay. Uh, Simon? Maybe some of these guys were um, people who were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And they felt very convicted and guilty because they, they, they were the ones who wanted to do that. And, and uh, I think they were convicted, you know, feeling guilty. You know. Certainly some guilt, I would imagine, mixed in there. Yeah. yeah. 
Mm. Yes. Okay. Good. Thank you, Barry. I put myself there at the time. It's that time of year I put there to worship God. Yeah. <coughs> the, the, um, and so I must believe in God. And I'm there to worship God. And, and God's going to come back sometime. And now I'll just fill his son. That's panic. <laughs> panic. <laughs> Panic's a good word. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. They recognize that the judgment of God is upon them if they do not respond. Okay. So there's a, a, a righteous panic if such a thing exists. All right. An, an alarm. An urgency. So they do it the same day. 3,000 people are baptized that day. Why so urgent? Why so rapid? Didn't have the Bible, not to study it. <laughs> it's no. Two weeks old, two months old. They didn't have a New Testament yet, so they didn't have, have to, do, to, to understand all that stuff. Spread the word. Spread the word. Because they were all in from different languages, so that they could. So then they could take the opportunity to go and, and pass on what they've now learned. When yep. you've done wrong and you put yourself in danger, the first thing you want to do is just get straight back out of everything. Okay. So from the people's point of view, that's their urgency. Yes. Yes. Good. I mean, they understood enough, didn't they? They understood their part in, in Jesus' death. They understood Jesus' role in their life. They understood enough. To yeah. That. Yeah, they understood enough to, to make that decision. Yeah. Uh, Asagi. Yeah. So there seemed to be a sense of urgency as well, because if you think about all these things were quite fresh. So they would have said Jesus crucified. Yeah. Some of it might have been skeptical. What was it really the Son of God? But then to have seen the things that happened here, mm. and then followed by the message that Peter made, those I believe there was quite a sense of urgency. <coughs> Just the need to do something immediately. Right? Mm -hmm. No reason to wait, given how he explained this is what you guys are responsible for. Right. And they said, what should we do? And said, this is what you need to do. And, Mm -hmm. There was really no case of, okay, let me go home and think about it. Or, so, that's what I think. Yeah, good point. Pen? Sorry, just one second. Penny next. I think they were in Jerusalem for a religious festival. The yeah. Religious festival yeah. of the year. Yes, Passover, yeah. And presumably that would have been a time when they were actually thinking it was a time of reflection for them. And then this is like, as well as like, scales falling off your eyes mm. um, and I suppose it all seemed to fit together uh, mm. it, wasn't, it wasn't just a random thing that they were in Jerusalem at that time, it was particularly holy time for them yes. so maybe, maybe that maybe there's something there about times of reflection like this in society we're asking is there more to life than an Easter egg <laughs> hopefully there is yes <laughs> hopefully there is isn't it fascinating and a lot of us here we, we you know we've been through an experience <coughs> like this right where we were confronted with the truth 
about our own sin. Um, and all of a sudden, scales fell from our eyes and our own responsibility was, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I, I, need, I need what God has to offer. And so we repented and we decided to, to get baptized. Some of us more recently, some of us several decades ago. Uh, but memorable because of that. Memorable not because of getting baptized or getting wet to getting immersed, but memorable because of the, sh- the shift in our thinking and the change in our understanding of who Jesus was and the responsibility we had about, about our own sin. And that, that's what sticks. That's why the heart changes, doesn't it? Because of the understanding of what Jesus has done. And then we see the results in verses 42 and following which we'll just finish with, and then take communion, which is what I think one of the things they're doing. They're, um, they're breaking bread, eating in their homes, which I think probably has a double meaning. Most people think it's a double meaning of hospitality and eating together and fellowshipping, but also remembering what Jesus said. He said, you know, um, do this in remembrance of me. And that's why we take communion. And I think it's a good, good reminder, this amazing new community where they have everything in common, it doesn't mean you have to be a communist to be a Christian, but it, but it illustrates that desire to meet other people's needs. Oh, I have something you need, let me help you. So it's that commonality of sharing of resources to help the common, the individual needs that come up within a community. A remarkable change. Um, and we all have our certain levels of selfishness. Some of us here, I expect, are slightly... Uh, less selfish than others by nature, but we all have a certain level of selfishness. And this, it, to me, indicates how completely broken uh, their, uh, their change of thinking has, become, has gone from where they were to where they are. Whatever levels of selfishness they might have had, they, have, they seem to have none now as they give to each other as they have need. And they break bread, meeting together every day with glad and sincere hearts. I love that part of it. It's not just a theory. It's not just a process. It's not just a, a system of let's, let's meet together and let's do a few things together and let's, let's, let's uh, establish a benevolence fund. And let's, it's not about the stuff. You know, it's, about, it's about the heart. They're doing it with glad and sincere hearts. They want to be together. They want this to be their shared experience. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And this is what motive should, should be our, our motivation. What we do and why we do it. It's because of the power of the Spirit that's been revealed. It's because Jesus is Messiah and Lord. It's because we did crucify Christ. But he doesn't hold it against us. Instead, he offers us freely the opportunity of repentance and baptism and to be recipients of the Spirit ourselves.